forgot to look on my calendar, but I think it's been a couple of Father's Days where uh, I was not able to be with you. And years ago, I used to share some profound insights with you called Father's Day List. And so before I get into the serious nature of the preaching of God's Word, I would like to share with you, by God's grace, top ten lines that fathers made famous. Number ten, do I look like I'm made out of money? <laughs> Number nine, not as long as you live under my roof and your feet are under. Thank you very much. Number eight, just go ask your mama. Number seven. I, I received a whipping over this one, I think, I remember. How many times do I have to tell you? And the kid says, six. And that's, that'll, that'll get you a whipping, yeah. Number six, I never spoke to my father that way. Number five, after you've broken everything in the home, can't have nothing. Number four, if I have to tell you, that's right. Which ties into number three. If you don't stop crying, I'm going to come in there and give you something to cry about. Yeah. Nowadays, if you don't stop, I'm going to come in there and turn your TV off. It's a timeout. Damage your psyche. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Number two, go get me something to beat you with. Now, see, some of y'all have never heard that phrase. That's a tricky, that's a tricky area. Because you've come back with something too light, he might go get a limb. And if you come back with something too heavy, you may die. It's a, it's a careful line. And the trauma is in the invitation, not the whipping. Go get me something to beat you with. And you, you praying, you checking limbs for flexibility and green. Don't ever get green. Get something dry. Let it break off, and then you just fall out like you did. And you... Number one line that fathers made famous is good for you, builds character. You could break your leg off. You could snap your leg off. Put it in your pocket. Builds character. Good for you. Anybody had a dad that if you busted your head up, he'd go rub some dirt in it? You remember that? Rub some dirt in it. Good for you. Which, okay. And those are good, but these are my favorites. These are top ten lines that you won't hear your daddy say. Number ten. Well, how about that? Looks like I'm lost. We'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Number nine, what do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for everyone to spend. <laughs> Number eight, you know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? <laughs> Number seven, I noticed that all your friends are into goth and role-playing. Maybe you ought to try that. Number six, here's a credit card and the keys to the new car. Go crazy. Have a good time. Number five, which is one of my favorites, it ought to be further down the list, but what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating not good enough for you, son? <laughs> a little synchronized swimming? You'd be good. Or that little stick with a streamer on it? Okay, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm getting it, I'm flushing, I'm flushing before we preach. Number four, your mom and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Number three. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number two. <laughs> Dads are just going, I would never say that. I would never say that. Number two. Of course you can have the remote. It belongs to the whole family. <laughs> Number one thing you'll never hear your father say, the dog didn't do it. 
It was me. Okay, there you go. That's your list. <laughs> Top gens. We live very diverse lives, and y'all can delete that out of the internet stream, and I'll deny it anyway. All right. I want to talk to you this morning on four simple truths. Um, our series is getting backed up. I'm sorry. The, the Lord doesn't always go by our plans. Next week, we have our salvation message, and then after that, it is my desire, if the Lord will allow, for me to start our summer series about deeper, going deeper. Uh, in our day and age, deeper has a negative connotation. If you say that saint is deep, it means that they're uh, unable to relate. They're so heavenly-minded, they're not earthly good. But that's not what deep is. Deeper means that you have personally dug out foundations, and you have seen foreseen that your roots go deep into God and you're deep in your convictions you're deep in your service you're deep in your worship and that's what by God's grace I hope to start teaching on uh, here in a couple of Sundays but this morning I want to talk to you about being a godly father now it's not limited to fathers of course you can uh, make application to the woman that has to be both father and mother you can make the application for the person that's never had a dad but uh, I thought of my daughters today, Haley and Kylie, as they're praying for God's best. If you've had a dad and lost a dad, or you've had a wonderful father and lost him or not had one, that loss can create such a uh, standard filter. I won't settle for anything less than this because an inadequate father, an absent father, an inconsistent father, a carnal father, can destroy a person. In the same way mothers are nurturers, fathers cut the pathways. Children run to their mother. Children do, but as they grow older, kids follow their father. Fathers in the scripture release things from children. They speak over them in their words. The mother could have said the same thing. And see, the fathers aren't better. It's different. In the same way God has designed you and gave you gifts and talents and abilities and leanings that men will never have. And he did the same with men so that a mother and a father could fulfill the total package of equipping the child with all that's necessary to fulfill God's best for their life. Fathers unlock who their children are. Fathers watch. Watch me, Daddy. Watch me. Watch me, Daddy. And you go, I'm watching. I'm watching. I mean, on a swing, you know, each time you go out, watch me. I'm, I'm pushing. I'm watching. I'm watching. They long for you to be current with them and watch and affirm and brag and speak over them. By the time this first catfish tells my little girls they're beautiful, they're going to say, my daddy tells me that 30 times a day. He ain't nothing special. They're, I'm going to have them conditioned. I've already, I've already planned. I was talking to a brother back here in the back. I said, I've already financed into my uh, mind that they're going to not like me in their teenage years. And that's okay. Because God didn't call me to be their friend. He called me to be their daddy. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So if you allow me, uh, I want to tie in some passages of Scripture and examples and show you how fathers with a choice can make or break a child. And there's a difference. Let me just say this in introduction as well before I pray. There's a difference between a good dad and a godly dad. 
Today in our Hallmark movie generation, when you say, oh, he's a good daddy, it invokes those warm feelings. But not every good daddy is a godly daddy. But every godly daddy is a good daddy. And you were not called to be good. Good is the fruit of your walking with the Lord. It happens, goodness happens anyway. And so we can't compare ourselves to the no-shows and the carnal and the, and the lost because we'll just feel ourselves uh, grand and successful. But we must compare ourselves to the high calling, the high calling of being daddies, fathers. Flawed as we are, but fathers nonetheless. We can't give them everything that we want. That's one of the hardest things for me. You can't give them everything that you want, but you can equip them with everything that they need. Daddies can do that. So if you would join with me as I pray for myself that I can share with you what God wants me to share this morning. Lord, as I stand before you, I most often humble myself and I ask you to help me and to anoint me. But I, want, I do want those things, but I want to say publicly. I want it to be on record. I don't know if you've ever done anything greater for me in my life than make me a daddy. I know the spiritual things, but I mean in this world. And I'm grateful. I am humbled and I tremble at the responsibility that I may unlock or keep locked that which you've put in my babies. And I pray that you would give me your eyes that I could see through the smoke screen of this world and I could see deep and I could see accurately into them and bring them along and allow by my mistakes for them to skip steps that we might honor you. It's not just for our babies to have a good life. It's that our babies would grow up and know you, the only true God, and they would honor you with their lives. So I pray today for an anointing, O oh Lord, that would allow me to speak truths not only to dads, but moms and children as well, that we will never forget this day as we talk about godly fathers. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, and I may read some of these verses and others I'll just call out to you that you can go back and do further study. Number one, godly fathers do not choose temporal pleasures over eternal treasures. Godly fathers do not choose temporal pleasures over eternal treasures. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29, we have a story of Jacob and Esau who were grown men. And the story picks up with Esau coming in after hunting and was very hungry. And it says that once his brother Jacob was preparing a meal when Esau, exhausted, came in from outdoors. And Esau said to Jacob, let me have this pot of, of red pot, uh, uh, soup to eat. I'm exhausted. And that's why he was called Edom. And Jacob responded, first sell me your rights as a firstborn. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my inheritance to me? First swear an oath, Jacob said. So Esau swore an oath to him and sold his rights as firstborn. Gave up his spiritual and earthly birthright. And Jacob gave Esau a meal of bread and lentils or bread and soup. He ate and drank and got up and left. And this is how Esau showed his contempt for his rights as a firstborn. We look at that and we say, how could, how, how could a man give up a birthright, a spiritual birthright, which was God's specific blessing, especially for those in the lineage of Christ, 
It meant special attention, special favor, special grace, special power available. Uh, really, there was an anticipation of God speaking over them and causing miraculous things to happen. And he said, I'll sell it for a bowl of soup. Something that satisfies me today. Something that satisfies my flesh. Something that meets a temporary need. I don't see men do it for soup, but I see them do it all the time. They sacrifice their family for someone younger. They sacrifice their family. Uh, they choose uh, a better neighborhood instead of the free time to be a good husband and a good uh, parent. They, it's not always evil things. Sometimes it's just a good thing. Bowl of soup is not evil. I know some people that find everything evil. But it doesn't have to be evil to rob you blind. And a man has to be clear. A man has to live with an eternal perspective that he looks through lenses. Any of you have polarized sunglasses? You ever went to the counter and have some little statue? Like Maui Jim has this little pelican and a seagull and a little wave and an umbrella and a rainbow. And you can't really see it, but you put the glasses on and you go, oh. I didn't know that was there. An eternal perspective makes you realize, it gives you such clarity. And, well, this is just but for a moment, but the rest is forever. Why would I want to spend my life on something that's going to be destroyed when I can invest my life in a future that's promised to come? Godly men don't sell out spiritual legacies for things. For things. It makes us feel better. And I'm putting myself in the same group. And guys, I want to just give this one disclaimer. I'm not trying to make anybody mad and I'm not trying to be condescending. But I am trying to stir and make you uncomfortable, make us uncomfortable. Because our days are running out. And what influence we have, we've got to exercise it today. You can't buy a legacy on a clearance rack. You got to live it. You got to purchase it a day at a time. And we have to have this eternal perspective of what's important. Yes, it's important to go to their ball games, but that's not the most important. It's not. And I know you're going to find this otherworldly, and you can just write it off that he's got white hair, he's old, he's in a different generation. Let me tell you, the Bible says the same world today is the same world that was yesterday, same girl, different dress, same thing, same thing. We loved football growing up. My daddy loved football. There was no such thing as soccer. I'm sorry. It was not invented. It wasn't in the U.S. anywhere. Badminton, lacrosse, none of the above. We were kind of raised that baseball was invented for those people who couldn't play football. That's what, you know, if you ain't, you ain't good enough to play football, we'll just here, hit this little white ball with that football. Everybody played football. And we loved it, and we played every year. And Daddy would come to the games, and I remember vividly him running the sidelines. And I was young enough at that time, it didn't bother me. And he would scream, go, baby, run, baby. So here's a boy, you know, and Daddy hollering, run, baby. But I was so young, I didn't care. And I, all, I was a good runner. I was about two foot tall. I was the littlest kid in my class Every year but one to the eighth grade, boy or girl. And I said, Coach, I can run with the ball. You try me. He throw me the ball, them big kids are after me. Pew, 
gone. They can't catch you. They can't catch you. And so Daddy was running the sidelines. Go, baby, go, baby, and hit a light pole straight on. Ting! All the way back out. Gone. Big hematoma sitting up here hanging off his head. And the coach moved our practices. Now, you might find this silly and archaic. and I'm 55 and I remember it. He said, my boys ain't playing on Wednesday. And we said, but Daddy, we, we want to play. And he said, I know. What time is practice? And the practice, and I'm making up a time. I don't remember. 5.30 or 5.45. He said, well, we have to be at church at 7.30. I tell you what. When I pull up, I'm going to beat my horn once. And Johnny, Jim, and Jim was the star. I was just a little scat back. Jim was a big boy. You just didn't run into Jim. Uh, the immovable object. So he said, I'm going to beat once. And Johnny, if you're in the middle of a play going out for a pass, I want you to run off the field and come get in the car and we go to church. So it was funny that uh, people say, oh, that's just legalism. And we would run in the car, pads and all, take our helmet off and sit in church with your pads and your pants and your mud. Now watch, the Pharisee would go, <coughs> how disrespectful. He was honoring God in the purest way he could. He said, I will not not let my babies enjoy things, but they will remember that if it ever comes to for us, for us, God did not command that you go on Sunday night and Wednesday. He didn't command. But for us, we will worship in a local body. That was his decision. So even if it was uneven, I knew what was more important. I got to play ball. They weren't going to let me go because I was Jim's brother. They weren't going to kick me off the team. We don't, if it ever comes down to choosing, a man ought to be, don't make me choose between you and God. Don't make me do it. Well, buddy, you lose this job, you lose your home. That ain't my home. I am not going to let my children see that pleasures, comfort, possessions, and recreation ever take the place of God. I want them to know that God is first, and I'm going to be running the sidelines, enjoying wholesome things with them, we're going to, it's not like you live in exile and you shut your doors and pull your drapes and don't go anywhere. But God first, baby. And if we do without, we do without. When the boss asks you to do something a little shady and it'll grant you the next position where your kids can go to a better school and you finance internally within yourself, I would rather my kids go to an inferior school and their daddy be upright than to do these other things. A bowl of soup for a birthright. Is your birthright for sale? Would you sell it for things or notoriety or success? I will promise you this, and I don't know everything, but I'll promise you this. Whatever you'll sell it for will be offered to you. Promise you. I want to read this one line and I'll go to number two. Look at verse 32. In Genesis 25, he said, I'm about to die. How exaggerated. Oh, if we don't do this, if I don't take my children to ball, they'll hate me. If I don't take, and kids go to like 60 things now. Not one. My kids are going to be good at one thing. It's 60. And they, oh, if, if I don't do this, they'll hate me. It'll damage them. If I don't do this, and Esau, same type of attitude. If I don't eat this bowl of soup, I'll die. Oh, come on. And then he said, what good is this inheritance? What does your Bible say? What does it say of it? 
What, what, good is your, what good is my inheritance? This inheritance. To me. There it is. I want everybody to look at me. All the dads. There it is. Your spiritual inheritance is not for you. It's for your babies. We do without the soup so they may have the provider. We do without the things of this world so they can have the things of heaven. The birthright is not so we can be comfortable, but there can be a clear path for our children to walk in and live under the smile of God Almighty. The inheritance is never for us anyway. And every good dad wants their children to be better than them, to go further than them, to stand on their shoulders and reach higher than them. The idea is not what good is my inheritance for me. is I may leave this world like my earthly dad left when he was 42 and we were 12 11, I think, 6 and 1. What, what is it like? And I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just very stirred, especially on Father's Day, when a man knows he's dying and he's stepping into eternity. And he's looking over his shoulder at his wife and his four babies. What does he feel like in that moment? I didn't have anything. I don't own anything. Oh, God. Give them my inheritance. And God decrees a blessing that cannot be revoked. It's wonderful to provide. I want my children to live in a wonderful home, which they do. I want them to have a wonderful education, which they do. But I'm telling you publicly that if it comes down to one or the other, we'll live in a 30-year-old mobile home with God's blessing, with inheritance. No suit. You can just carry it home. You'll remember it that way. No suit. No thank you. No suit. Number two. Godly fathers raise their children separate from the world. I'm not going to read the portion, but you'll find it in Genesis 19. The story where Lot separated from Abram. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Well, he chose Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He eventually moved into Sodom and became a Sodomite. He, he lived there. There came a contention between Lot and Abram because there wasn't enough grass for all their cattle. And Abram said, well, you can just separate. You pick land and whatever's left, I'll take it. See, righteous people don't have to scheme and scam. Righteous people don't have to manipulate. We don't have to get one over better than you. You pick, I'll take what's left over. Because I know that if you do wrong by me, God can take your land and give it to me. I ain't got to maneuver. But the Bible says that Lot looked and saw the well-watered garden of Sodom, and it, or the land of Sodom, and it was like the Garden of Eden. Now watch. And he chose for himself, not his wife, not his children, not his God. He chose for himself. And he went into... Why not just say, well, if ain't enough grass, I'll just get rid of some of my cows because every blessing that's ever came to me, Abraham, is because I was connected to you and your God. So why don't I lose a little of my possessions and stay with you? Why take the golden egg when I'm living with the goose that lays the golden egg? I want to be with God. But no, he chose for himself and he moved his family into Sodom. And he became... One of the leaders, uh, because leaders would sit at the city gates and they would rule over certain disputes and things. So he was in some form of government, however small it was. 
And he was at the gate and two angels came. God had sent two angels. Obviously, angels throughout Scripture can make themselves look like men or they can look like glorified men. But he knew that they were strangers. And he invited them into his home. And they said, no, I want you to hear this. I pray I cover this uh, clearly and I'm articulate uh, so that we can grasp the uh, enormity of this statement. The angel said, no, we'll just stay in the street all night. Now the angel of the Lord visited Abraham, goes in his tent, lets Abraham cook for him, blesses him, gives him promises. And this is not the angel of the Lord, it's an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was a theophany, a manifestation of Jesus Christ as a person. But these angels were like, we're not comfortable in your home. So God sends angels to rescue this man. They don't even want to go in his house. We're not comfortable with the feeling in your home. We're not comfortable in what we're going to hear in your home. We're not comfortable with what we're going to see in your home. And the problem with living in the world, now we all have to live geographically in the world, but we don't have to spiritually live in the world. We can claim ourselves as foreigners and aliens, strangers from all of this. I might not can, listen, this is a mantra for me, Papas. This is my mantra. I'm, people will say, well, you just can't keep everything from your children. You're exactly right, but I don't have to put them in anything. I might not can keep them from everything. But I promise you I'm not going to put them in it on purpose. So the angel said, we're not, we're not coming in. And he, he really impressed upon them. Come in, come in, come in. And when the angels came in, the Bible records, and I know this is not politically correct, but the Bible records that the men, the men of the city, surrounded their house and began to beat on the doors and said, where are these strangers that you took in? Let them come out that we may know them. And that no means we may have sex with them. The same word that the Bible said, and Adam knew Eve, and they conceived and bore a son. These men were beating on his door and said, let us have these men come out. We want to have sex with them. So let me read a few things and then tell you his reply. Godly men not only do not love this world, they're not comfortable in it. They do not long for it. They do not fit in it. And are not content with it. Those that love the world are willing to separate from godly associations to be near it. Those that love the world will eventually stop visiting and move there. And in living there, allow this culture to infect their mind, body, soul, and spirit. And those that love the world will grow blind to spiritual truths and their temporal realities. And those that love the world, here it is, will eventually live by their code and forget God's. Okay, political correctness didn't start in the last 10 years. It's come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. Uh, sometimes it's the government that pushes it. Sometimes it's harlot religions and, and the likes. But this is what he, uh, Lot said. Listen to this. Lot went out to the door as they were beating on it and said, Give us these men that we might have sex with them. And he shut the door behind him and he said, I pray, brethren, do not do wickedly. Listen to this. Behold. I have two daughters that have never been with a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out to you and you do whatever you want to do that's good in your eye to them. Only to these men do nothing. What? Here's what the world does. 
The world rewrites your mental processes through propaganda, media, television. Guys, media, television, music, media, television, music. They rewrite you and tell you what's wicked. They said to not protect a stranger or when you're housing a guest. That's the utmost importance of a citizen and a good man. He takes care of his guest. And he has so immersed himself in this world that he thinks that helping a stranger is more important and there's more responsibility than taking care of your children. And if you live in this world, you become so distorted and you lose sight that your first, your primary, and your most important mission field in your life is your home. Period. He was politically correct. And I believe there's no way that his daughters didn't know what he said. See, you don't raise your babies in Sodom and not say things that Sodomites would say. You don't raise your babies in Sodom and not do things that Sodomites would do. And you don't raise your babies in Sodom without your babies becoming Sodomites. Because when they escaped by God's intervention and God rained down fire and brimstone, that's where the phrase came from, upon the city and consumed it. That night they said to one another, the whole world's been destroyed. Let's just get our dad drunk and sleep with him so we can have children. How did a young woman lose all measure of right and wrong? Because her daddy was a person of the crowd and not a person of the Christ. We got to, we've got to be separate, different. They're going to call us legalistic. They're going to call us narrow-minded. They're going to call us the other. But the world does not have the good of your family in mind. As a matter of fact, the Bible said your adversary, the devil, is roaring around as a, a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not play with, consume and devour. Distance from the world. It's not just distance. So if I distanced myself from worldly things, whatever you think those can be, the things the world does, the thing the world loves, the things the world prefers. If I distance myself from them and my children see me long for them, that's not going to work. But when they see me live sanctified and consecrated, those two words, you might want to write this down, sanctified and consecrated. Sanctified means separate from the world. Consecrated means exclusively consecrated to God, separated unto God. One without the other will kill you. If you're just separated from the world and you're not separated unto God, you're just mean. You don't have no fun. You don't do anything. There's no pleasure. But if you consecrate yourself to God and you never let go of the world, you go back and you fall back and you fall back and there's tragedy and turmoil. Godly fathers realize that how I raise my children and where I raise my children and what I willingly let them be exposed to is on me. And that's a, that's a grave responsibility. Those that love the world are willing to sacrifice their children to have it and keep it. They know what's happening. When they see their children watching it on television, they know what's happening. When they see it affect their dress, their speech, their mannerisms. But so long as their peers think they're balanced. 
their peers. Our crazy friends. Our delusional friends. Our five-time married friends that get their cues from Oprah and Dr. Phil, who tells them how to live. Godly parents are willing to finance the misunderstanding of other people so that they may protect their children. And I sell it, say it to you again. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. You can't love the world system, the setup that caters to you, that says, it's your life, grab the gusto, party now, live for the moment. If you live after the flesh, you die. But if after the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. And it is difficult to live sanctified, but it's wonderful. It's, do you understand difficult and wonderful? I'll bring it close to home. It's difficult to work out and lose weight. When I was young, I enjoyed working out some. And then when you, you, know, you get about 30 and your metabolism goes, Hey, John, we'll see you, man. God bless. Take care. We'll see you. And you have to work out like an hour just, you know, to, to get it kicked in. And when your metabolism kicks in, you, you need a rag. You need a napkin. You need plates. You know, you're just starving. And to, to bridle, to, to make change in your body. You know, you, 3 o'clock in the morning, you buy that thing for $59. Lose 60 pounds in seven days. I'm going to do it. You do that by cutting a leg off. That's how you lose that much weight. There's, there's a great cost to it. But those that are serious about it and do it thoroughly say, I do feel better. And the reason we, not you, we, I got issues my own self with, is we are not willing to pay the price tag in this moment for better health. And in our spiritual lives, we are not willing to pay the price tag to have spiritual health. I can't love the world and love God. Because the world hates God. Hates Him. And just bring it close to home. If somebody hated your wife, you say, well, yeah, I know they hate you, Kelly, but I'm friends with them, and I want you to know, you know. She'd go, you need to see someone. If they hate you, they hate me. Well, no, we don't talk about you. We just go to lunch and talk about football and everything. And it don't bother you that they hate me and call me all these names. No, I'm good. I just want you to know, I'm coming home to you, baby. You hate my Lord, me and you have nothing in common. I don't hate you, but we have nothing in common. Righteous fathers draw the line. Those that love the world should not be surprised when their family loves the world. And those that love the world eventually lose all influence with those that follow them. This was the scariest thing. When the angel of the Lord told Lot, he said, get out, of the, get out now. The Lord's about to destroy the city. And he went to his sons-in-laws and explained to them what God was going to do. And the Bible said, and he was unto them as of someone that didn't know what he's talking about. And they jerked away from him. I'm not following you. Dads that have not earned influence cannot exercise influence when they need it most. It just doesn't work. And the same guy that didn't live consecrated, lost his children to the world, created Israel's two greatest enemies through Moab, 
those children, Ammon and Moab. And he lost his wife. Because when she moved into Sodom, she loved the way it made her feel, the way it made her look. She loved the Friday nights, the Saturday nights, the Sunday afternoon part. She loved all of that. And God said, now don't look back. And so Lot runs out, runs out with children who are going to commit incest with him. And his wife turns back and dies on the spot. I just submit this to you as another husband and father trying to finish strong. What kind of weight is that? If you know that your wife and babies fall short, die young, or veer off because of the choices you make. It's a sobering thing. But don't feel defeated because you have the capacity and the freedom to choose according to God's word. You say, that looks like a well-watered garden, but sometimes grass is greener because, you know, it's over the septic tank. And I'm not going to move over there. I'm going to stay right here with you, Lord. Papa, are you sanctified? Are you set apart? Are you different? Are your books different? Are your shows different? Are your friends different? Are your habits different? Let me just tell you a quick story. This is even separate from the Lord's dealing. I have a buddy of mine who was not a Christian at the time. And I'm going to use this as an illustration. It's not the biggest thing, but it shows the principle of a father's heart. He had, my buddy had smoked forever. I mean, all through high school, college, you know, early 20s, mid-20s. He got married and had a baby, and his little girl walked up to the table. She could hardly talk. And she picked up her cigarettes and she said, Daddies? Daddies? And this man that couldn't spell Jesus didn't know him. He said, No, baby. Went and threw him away. He goes, No, daddies. No, daddies. A father's heart says, I'll do without the soup and I'll live separate, even if my flesh craves, because I don't want you making these mistakes and paying this tab. That's the right, it's the privilege, and it's the responsibility of a father. Number three, godly fathers take responsibility for the spiritual condition of their home. They don't blame their wife like Adam did. God said, Adam, why, how do you know you're naked? Uh, the woman you gave me, what she did was, you know, I could be a better man at this. And he blames no one. He doesn't pass off the responsibility and he doesn't pass off the blame for the spiritual condition of his home. And we who are men cannot let anyone else be the primary voice in the life of our family. My wife knows Jesus Christ. She has an intimate, personal, tender relationship with him. She knows his word. She knows his ways. But she is not the voice in our family. She is an echo. And it may be even clearer than mine. Equally as clear. But it's my responsibility as the covering of this home. They need to know we go to church because daddy brings us to church. And mama lives the gospel in the same way. But they need to see that this is not mama's responsibility and I come along. This is our home. We pull up, beat the horn. Our babies are in the car with football clothes on. We, we. As for me and my house, don't let your wife say that. You say that. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You missed a wonderful place to applaud and say amen. That was a wonderful place. Leading by example, training, consistency, humility, tenderness, creating an environment that children would find it hard to depart from, men who prioritize the Lord, the things of the Lord, His Word, His body, His will, men who understand that the path you tread, off, you tread out is often the path your family will follow. Having said that, see, I see myself as walking a path and clear, you know, making it profound. Any of you got dogs or animals that run the fence line? You can sod, and the next week it's gone. That's their path, why they do the same path to the same spot. Anybody have a dog that does the same path to the fence? There'll be a narrow spot, ain't a blade of grass on it. And this is the way I see it. If I walk it consistently enough, there's no mistaking it. My children know the path. Train up a child in the way they should go. It's not telling them, it's leaving the path. A straight path. How straight is your path? How singular is your path? How deep is your path? Some of us have been walking with God so long, it's a rut. It's like a deep groove. They can't crawl out. You get in some, you know, Granny walked with the Lord 103 years, and her path you got to up to your armpits. You got to, you got to try to backslide to get out from under it. How cleared off is your path? How familiar is your path? How consistent is your path? How fruitful is your path? And Papa's, this is the most important. How joyful is your path? I want them to look at my life and say, I want what he has. I want to be silly with them. I want to be happy with them. I want to blow dry their hair. I want to sing the songs so that they know that life with Christ is not some burdensome, uh, oh, the way is so hard. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burden's light, and there ought to be joy in their father. They ought, I want our house to be the place all the kids come to. Jesus, take the wheel. I said it. I, I, I do. I do. I need two naps, but I do. I want them to say, that place is alive. And the children say, I don't know what it is, but it's different. It's different. I want, I, I want to not only be consecrated, but joyful. And finally, godly fathers, oh, I skipped something, I'm sorry. These men that take priority, uh, take responsibility for their home know that God will hold them accountable. Do you remember when Sarah concocted that idea for them to have children and told Abraham to sleep with this other girl? And Abraham's like, I don't think that's a good idea. No, no, I'm serious. And they have the baby, and she, the the. Baby's mama was cutting eyes at her and mocking her, and it did not work out. And Abraham knew better than to say, I told you so. And uh, Sarah come in, and she said these words, very profound. She said, my wrong be upon you, and walked out. Now, in this modern culture, they'd say, well, that's not fair. No, she was right. You're the priest of this home. You should have told me, no way would you sin against God and me. And to make it easy... By giving me what I want, you sold us out. You, my wrong be upon you. And he goes, you're right. Everything that is going on in your home that you allow is your fault. And my fault. So as fathers, it gets hard. Can I go one step further? When it works, 
To God be the glory. When it doesn't, we feel the blame. But our life is a stewardship. It's a trust. It's not supposed to be easy. But Jake, it's going to have great reward. In this life, our children are going to rise up and call us blessed. Our children are going to rise up and say, I know the Lord. I know my mama's God, but he's my God. I know my daddy's God because they raised me separate. And I can close my eyes and tell you what mama would have done and daddy would have done. If you leave them that and they can finish the verse, you may miss out on some years. I'm going to go step further. I'll make everybody mad today. I'm just going to make them all mad. I know, the, I know people that won't allow anything in their home when their children are growing up. And then when they're teenagers and 20-something, they party with them. Now they're cool and they're their friends. And I'm like, you, have just, you, you just confused them. You told them with your ideas one thing. You told them with your lifestyle one thing. Then you told them later when it's conducive. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. You just, you just evolve. You modify. Even if you go overboard some. The Lord can bring you back. The problem is not the Lord bringing you back. The problem is you willingly going forward and going a little further. I won't keep you long. I just There's a couple of things I want to share with you. I know i got visitors today, but when I was growing up, my father, who had been born again in his early 20s, came from a very horrible background, alcohol, physical abuse, and all the other. And he just wasn't having it in his house. just wasn't in his house. Mom, mom and him just not in the house, not now. And y'all remember the tube televisions? Not this turn it on now and it's on. You could go make a sandwich. And come, I'm serious. These kids don't look, you could go make a sandwich. You could boil corn on the cob by the time the thing warms up. An old one. If a alcohol or tobacco commercial or anything lewd, and you'd think, what could be lewd in the 60s? My point exactly? They said, turn it off. Marlboro Man, come on, turn it off. You go. You're watching uh, Lassie or Disney or Andy Griffith, and you're thinking, if I turn it off, we're going to miss the next 10 minutes. Turn it off. Mm. You turn it off. Count. Has it been 30 seconds? No. You turn it back on. And then it comes on, and it's not clear, so you have to hold the antenna, hold your brother's arm. He's holding aluminum foil, and you're doing this, and it tunes in again. Oh, and there's another commercial. Turn it off. Was that necessary? It's for you to decide. I will tell you this. I'm 55 years old, and we don't show them in our house. My wife just goes up cut it off. We don't have to wait as long for the show to come back on. Just cut it off. We'll be singing something, and Kelly says, cut off. We'll be playing a Disney movie, and a commercial come on, and Kelly goes, for the love of the Lord. And she'll go and turn it off. What in the world? It's just horrible. I would rather my kids remember me that way than feeling normal with things that displease the Lord. All right, number four. Godly fathers don't forsake God's will when it gets hard. In Ruth, chapter 1, it said, It came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Elimelech, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. There's Moab again. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died there, and she was left with her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years until both their sons died also. 
This story is very simple, and you can parallel it to our lives so easy. There was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. So there was no bread in the house of bread. Have you ever been living in God's will and God's promises aren't manifested in your life at that moment? You go, it's not working. What's wrong? We're giving, we're serving, we're doing, and life is more difficult now. And so he picked his family up and moved them to Egypt because there was bread there. Simple solution. God helps those that help themselves. But he knew it was the will of God for him to live in Bethlehem. The promised land. We fathers can rationalize anything, especially when our paternal instincts kick in and we have to provide. We have to provide. This is hard for me to say because I'm right there with you. I wouldn't give you 11 cents for a man that does not desire to provide for his family. But no, you don't have to provide. You have to live righteously in front of your family. That's what you have to do. So he picked him up to escape famine. And he died in a land full of bread. Because when you make eternal, eternal decisions based on temporal information, there's always consequences. Never take the easy path. Stand back and pray. Now, if God tells you to go there, that's one thing. But he'll never tell you to leave his will. He took his family because he was, they were hungry. He made this decision because he was powerless. Ben, if you would come, please. He, he made this decision to move out of the will of God because he didn't know what else to do. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. He made this decision because it was the path of least resistance. He made this decision and it cost him his life and it cost his wife, her husband. When I wrote this this morning... I just thought about my precious girls and my little boy. This man's decision outlived him. He made the decision to go out of God's will. He died there. And then 10 years later, his boys died in the same decision. So his wife, her life as she knew it was gone. She's submissive, following him. The boys followed him. They fell in love. But we don't have protection out of the will of God. But in the will of God, you can be dirt broke. Walk in the room with your babies and put your hands on their beds or their heads and say, Father God, the best of my ability, I'm living for you. Take care of my babies. And if he has to, bread will fall from heaven for your children. Being a godly father is not hard. It's a choice away. Paying the price to be a godly father will cost you your life. This is my daddy's Bible. <laughs> you can't open it without it falling apart and all the notes and the prayers and the He didn't leave us any money. We were poor. But a name, leaving your children a name, the Bible says, is greater than riches. 
everywhere I go. And I'm not deifying him. He's just like you, just like me. A choice, a choice. Everywhere I go, your daddy was right there with me. Yes, sir. Your daddy was the greatest preacher I've ever heard in my life. Or they'll say, no one ever loved me like your daddy. When I went to get ordained, I was in my interview with all these men who had voices like Charlton Heston that sounded like God, you know. They were interviewing me. Brother John Wood, what are you here today for? I'm, I'm here to be ordained. ordained some, I'm just nervous. This guy goes, John, John, John Wood, Wood. Charles Heath said, you Roger Wood's boy? I said, yes, sir. He goes, come here, boy, give me a hug. He stood up and just hugged me, hugged me, and he pushed me back. He goes, you have a backslide, I'll kill you. Cordell, Georgia, preaching to a hundred people or so. A family walks in. It's about eight or nine of them. I get done preaching, praying with the people in the altar. This man walks up with his hat in his hand. He's a farmer guy. He's probably about 75, 80. He goes, you John Wood? I said, yes, sir. You wouldn't happen to have a daddy named Roger Wood, would you? I said, yes, sir. He died when I was 11. I heard about that. We just drove from America because we saw it in the paper and we just by chance we wanted to meet the son of the boy that uh, the son of the man that led every one of us to Jesus. He goes, My name is so and so. He started crying and he hugged me, kissed me on my face, and his wife said, Hi, my name is so and so. I am wrecked. Husband, wife, children who are grown, grandbabies. That was all we wanted, and they just we wanted to tell you. And now I get my babies. And I realize, it's on me. May I be just 100% real with you? Do you ever have flashes where you go, I don't want to waste a day. Kelly, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband, a better dad. I want to leave a legacy, not for my name. So my children will have a straight path, a deep path, a clear path, an unmistakable path, and a path that leads to the right destination. That was the one thing my daddy didn't give me was this. Not that, this. He died before he could tell me who I was. You can unpack it. You can look in your boy and say, don't you listen to what they say. Look at me. I know you. I'm your daddy. Let me tell you who you are. And you pull it out of them. You tell that little girl, don't listen to them. You are perfect. You were intricately woven in your mother's womb. You are the apple of my eye and you are gorgeous. Come here, come here. You have the power. Moms nurture, dads lead. And if there is no dad, moms can do it. But they'll tell you, it's like wearing a left shoe on a right foot. They can do it through love and willpower, being a mama bear. But they're not designed that way. We're equipped. Let me read this to you and we're going to go home. Fathers, we need you. We need you desperately. We need you now. We need you to know the way, to show the way, and to keep us in the way. We need you to be our father, not our friend. Train us up in the way we should go. And when we're old, we will not depart from it. Don't you see your power, Papa? Don't you see your influence? Don't you see your opportunity? We're supposed to see who God really is by how you are in the world. 
We learn that God is good. God is kind. God is faithful. God is patient. God disciplines. God forgives. God is merciful. God restores. And we know that He watches us, provides for us, protects us, and celebrates us because you do. You're the mirror. You're the echo. You're the foretaste. But most of all, Daddy, He loves us. I know He loves us because you love us. God must love me deeply because you love me deeply. God must love me profoundly because you love me profoundly. God loves me passionately, affectionately, sacrificially, and genuinely. We are God's greatest joys. We are His greatest treasures. We are His greatest accomplishment and the thing He is most proud of. And He would die for us. He would willingly, joyfully die for us because I watched you lay down your life for us every day. This is where we learn our worth. This is where we learn our identity. This is how we come into our full inheritance. Master, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father. Because it's in that knowledge and that awareness. And we who are fathers can give our kids and our wife head starts. My wife didn't have one to speak of. And I, can, I can't be her dad, but she can glean from who I am to the babies and see that the Lord is affectionate with her and delights in her and enjoys her. Godly fathers always have room in their heart for one more. Give me two minutes and I want to show you a quick video and we're going to go home. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to do this. I don't know what my life, I don't know how incomplete it would be if I didn't have you and you and Katie and Jimmy. I'm asking the fathers in this room, do you have room in your heart for one more? I know you're done. I know you're done. Thank you, Lord. They're gone. Last one. But do you have room in your heart and your home for one more? I'm asking the Lord to show us who we can rescue this year. We just add them to our family. I talked to Beth on the phone. Those of you that know her will appreciate this. There's a little boy that's been coming to their house and hanging out and going to supper with them and going to church with them. And he said, Miss Beth, can I live with y'all? She said, sure. So they bought a house. They're tearing up the house. They're making room. She said, John, it's like your story. We're having to live your story. We're just adding people to our house. If you got room for one more, God will let you. you it may be in your home. It may be not in your home. I just don't know if you can be any closer to who God is than being a daddy. A real one. May I pray for you today? Father, I thank you for the men in this room. Godly men, good men, kind men, hard working, love their wife and love their children. I pray that you would give them, Lord, like they had in high school and college, that challenge where that coach said, we can do this, we can be this. And that they would set their face to be the most authentic representative of Jesus Christ their babies has ever seen. Not perfect, but a perfect heart. May we change this generation. May you show us who in our life, even if we can't father them in our home, we can father them with influence and with impact. And we give you praise today, Lord.
Guys, if you'd cue this video for me, would you play this today? For those in this building, the last thing I want to share that none of this applies to at all. You've never known the love of an earthly dad, and it's the greatest void, or it may be rejection, or uh, ambivalence, or abuse. When the unthinkable happens to you, it is God's desire to do the unthinkable for you. And he'll step on top of that gaping hole and create something wonderful. It remains, but it becomes the soil. It becomes the very soil where his beauty is shown. Maybe that loss will prompt you to make sure that no kid you ever come around doesn't know what it's like to not have a father or a mother. He's a restorer. He's a healer. He gives joy and he loves you. He's watching you. He set a path for you. He died for you. He's preparing a place for you. And he's coming again for you. Earthly daddies are only signs that point to the real one. And you have a really daddy. 
Have a wonderful Father's Day today. God bless you.